When the Israelites returned from Babylon, they couldn't just go back to normal. We find ourselves heading into a similar situation. What does God want to say to us in this season as we prepare for life after a pandemic? In After the Exile, Living for God in the New Normal, Pastor Harris will preach a series based on the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. As we continue in our series of messages from the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi entitled, After the Exile, Living for God, Living for God in the New Normal. And so today, I want to bring a message entitled, The Danger of Coming Out of Exile. The Danger of Coming Out of Exile. And I want to read for us just to open Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the scripture says there, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. And yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Father, we pray that you would bless your word to us today, that you would open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts to receive what you want to speak into our lives today. And so we thank you, God, for your word to us this morning. And may you be exalted through it. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, we're in the midst of a series of messages from these last three books of the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. If you haven't read through those books of the Bible in a long time or maybe ever, I would encourage you to do so. But you see, these prophets were preaching and writing to the Jewish people who had just come out of, ba of exile in Babylon and who were, who were attempting to rebuild their nation, their city, their lives, trying to get back to some sort of more normal life, albeit, as we've been saying, um, a somewhat new, new normal. And we've said that right now we're all kind of feeling like we're in a bit of exile ourselves. And we're looking forward to the day when we come out of our exile and go back to normal, or at least what will be our new normal. But right now, you see, is our time to, to prepare ourselves individually and corporately for that day. And I know many people are getting antsy. Many of us are getting antsy about getting back to church and getting out and doing this. But, but I would say to us that this is a time that, that the Lord has given to us that we can use to prepare ourselves for what it will mean to live for God in the new normal. And so we can ask this morning, like, what will it be like, not just a few weeks from now or a few months from now, but let's say a year from now. Right now, we're all wondering how long we will have to wear masks when we go out or whether or not we'll be able to sit comfortably once again in a restaurant. We wonder what it will be like when we come back together again to worship here in our church building. But I think more importantly, we need to ask ourselves, what will the spiritual tone of our lives be like when the crisis has passed? What will it look like to live for God as time moves on beyond the crisis? And will our spiritual lives be any different than they were before or than they are even now? You see, we all know that when a crisis is at hand, the spiritual fervency in our hearts, it kind of rises to the surface. But when the crisis passes, there's a danger. 
there's a danger. For the danger is this, that, that we would become spiritually cold, dry, or however you would like to describe it. That when the crisis is over, we all know that we tend to put spiritual things on the back burner. Our love for God can begin to wax cold and our lives can begin to look less and less the way they are supposed to look as the people of God. You see, that's what we find when we come to the book of Malachi. At this point, the Jewish people have been back in Jerusalem and in Judea for about a hundred years now. It's been about 40 years since the final prophecies of, of, of the prophet Zechariah. The temple was completed. Temple worship was restored. The city and nation were once again alive with activity. The economic, religious, political, um, educational, and social engines were all running. But something was not right. The people, that is God's people, had come through their crisis and it seems that once the dust had settled, something began to change within them and among them. It seems that they had lost their spiritual fervor. They had become cold towards the things of God. And it showed by how they were living and even the questions they were asking. And so God raised up one final prophet to challenge and warn his people. His name was Malachi. And Malachi simply means, his name means from the Hebrew, messenger of God. How appropriate. Messenger of God. And so I want you to look with me this morning at what happened to the people of Malachi's day once they had come through their, 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 their crisis, not just out of exile through their crisis, but on into the days to come as they began to experience life in maybe a more normal sense. And we're going to see this morning that the dangers that lay before us are the very same dangers that were before the people of Malachi's day. For the dangers are the same for us as they were for them. For these are dangers that lay before us in the days to come as we come out of our exile, through the crisis, and into life as it becomes a bit more normal. We just read as we open Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 through 3, and we see that the first danger is this, a loss of gratitude for the love, and we might say, and the grace of God a loss of gratitude for the love and grace of God. For you see, here was God telling his people that he's loved them, that he has deeply, deeply loved them, but they respond with a question, how have you loved us? I don't know, to me, they were like snotty little kids who've taken for granted the love their parents have shown them because they hadn't always gotten their way. They, they almost mocked the love of their heavenly father. I mean, all one can say about their question is, how disrespectful can one get? Whereas Malachi points out, this was the God who, when he chose Jacob over Esau, chose them to be his people. This was the God who had promised to bless them. This was the God who had promised to save them when others like, like Edom, like Esau, were coming under judgment. Not only that, but we can, we can reflect back, we can think back to, to all that God had done for them, for his people up to this point in their history, redeeming them from Egypt, providing for them in the wilderness, giving them the land of Canaan as their own, sending them prophets time and again, bringing them back from exile in Babylon, helping them rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and on and on it goes. And yet now they fail to appreciate God's love for them as 
and his incredible grace that had been shown towards them. You see, this, I believe, has been a great danger, even a bottom line problem for so many of God's people throughout the years and even today. That is a lack of gratitude, even a lack of awe for the love and grace of God that has been shown to us through Christ our Lord. For we so easily tend to forget all that God has done for us through the giving of his son Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross. Maybe because we've heard it so many times, we lose that sense of awe and we begin to act as if God owes us something. Oh, you see, I don't know about you, but I've experienced too many people in the church who have merely ended up as church people. You know what I mean? They come to church and they're there, maybe in in a very faithful way, but they spend so much of their time just complaining about this and that and always wanting their way and rarely ever talking about the goodness of God. And again, maybe because we've heard the story so often, we fail to hold that sense of awe and gratitude for the incredible love and grace that God has shown to us. Oh, I know, I've been so glad for experiencing others who who are just the opposite, saints, even older saints who, who speak as if God had saved them just yesterday. I can think of my own grandmother who in her 80s, my Greek grandmother, she would just talk about Jesus with such love and such passion and such adoration. It was like she had come to know him just the day before. But again, We're always in danger of losing that sense of love and and gratitude and awe for the love of God. And when we begin to lose that awe and gratitude for his love and grace shown to us through Christ, everything else in our relationship with God begins to fall apart. Listen, church, as we come out of exile and come through this crisis, it's a danger we face that we would lose our lack of gratitude for the love and grace of God. But go with me, if you will, on in chapter 1, and I want to read for us verses 6 through 8. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and it says this. This is the Lord speaking. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. For when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. I want to... I want us to see this morning that the second danger we face as we come through our crisis is this, that our relationship with God becomes a low priority. You see, when the people of God came to worship God, they were supposed to bring to God the very best that they had to offer, not the diseased, the blind, or the crippled. They were to bring that which represented their love for God, their desire to honor him, the fact that their relationship with him was a priority of their lives. Let me say that worship was always meant to be an extension of our relationship with God. Worship is not meant to just be something we do out there on our own, just to kind of go through religious formality. But worship was always meant to be an extension of our relationship with God. And God's point is well taken here. 
How do you treat a father to whom you want to show love and respect? How does a slave honor his master? What would one bring as a gift to their governor or their king? You see, honor, respect, and love are shown by bringing gifts that represent one's best. But these people had been bringing their leftovers, their throwaways. They brought to God what they would never dare bring to a human ruler. Why? How? It's simple. Their relationship with God and thus their worship had become a low priority. Could it be that we have so often done the same? That is everything else in life comes first. And then if we have time, we come to worship service. We spend time with God. We give to God. We serve God and so forth. Oh, I know that the word is being thrown around essential, essential services. And we say as a church, we, we know, excuse me, that the church and worship is essential. And yet we have so often treated it as anything but essential. Instead, sports and fixing the house and keeping the business going and going to the beach and being with family and so on have all taken priority in our lives. And in the end, God gets the leftovers of our lives. And it's not just about attending church, but it's about every area of our lives. For if we are not careful, we too will end up putting our relationship with God on the low rung of the ladder of our lives, making it low priority. See, it's a danger that we face as we come out of exile, as we move past the crisis. But thirdly, this morning, go with me as we continue in, in Malachi chapter 2. I want to read for us verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to skip to chapter 3. It says this, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned, you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. And then over in chapter three, verses 13 through 15, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you have asked, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call our, the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. See, the third danger is this, a lack of respect for God's word. A lack of respect for God's word. We just read it. The priests had veered from the teaching of the word of God. Instead, they were teaching whatever they wanted to say or whatever the people wanted to hear. It's kind of like what we find so often in our own day and age. And the people were saying harsh things against God's word. We just read it. They felt it was a waste to obey God's word. It was a waste to follow his commands, to live the way God had told them to live. Notice their question and the spirit behind it. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements, his commandments? In the end, they had lost all respect for the word of God. They failed to believe that God knew what was best for their lives, that God had revealed his perfect will for them in his word, that God had revealed his very nature in his word. Most of all, they failed to understand what a wonderful and beautiful gift his word was to them. 
Just the other day, I, I, I published, it was Friday morning, as I do each Friday, my pastor's devotion. If you don't get it, you can find the link um, in our e-bulletin, Facebook page, and so forth. But I wrote about the fact how earlier in the week, or I think it was the end of the week before, we, we had our dog, Sadie, um, out at 80 Acres Park in Eatontown there. And she was on, on her leash and running with myself and our daughter, Joanna. Kim was there walking in the park. And, and I decided to switch her leash um, to a different part of her collar. And, well, I didn't realize I hadn't latched it fully. I hadn't latched it properly. And so after just a little bit, she broke away. And boy, did she break away. She went flying through the woods, probably, probably chasing deer and chasing squirrels. And there was, I mean, I would call her. She wouldn't come back. And then for the next 20 minutes, we're walking that park, calling her and calling her. Well, you know what? After about 20 minutes, Kim found her, or better said, she found Kim, and she was exhausted. She had been running. She could hardly walk, and she was so glad to be back with us. She was a little bit ashamed. She wouldn't look me in the eye for about a half hour. But here's the thing. Sadie broke off her leash, and if we hadn't found her, she could have ended up in danger. She would have been well out of the place, her place of blessing, where she gets fed twice a day. She gets treats. She gets to sit on the couch at night and put her head on my lap and watch TV with me. And all the blessings that come into her life, she broke away, thinking she was pursuing something good when actually she was losing. Do You know, we treat God's word just like that, don't we? Because you see, God's word is meant to keep us. And I mentioned this in the devotion this week, but God's word is meant to keep us in his place of blessing. And if we're not careful, we can fail to see God's word as the gift that it is to us. And thus, rather than upholding his word as our rule of faith and conduct, we use God's word for our own means to justify our own ways of thinking, to make, make, it, make it say what we want it to say. Or we simply put his word up on the shelf of our lives, taking it down as we feel we need it, rather than loving it, honoring it, and respecting it, and living by it. It's a danger. It's a danger that we face. Well, if you take these three dangers that we've spoken about, a, a loss of gratitude for, for the love of God, allowing our relationship with God to become low priority and a lack of respect for his word, it takes us to the fourth and final danger I want to speak about this morning, and that is a lifestyle of compromise and unfaithfulness. A lifestyle of compromise and unfaithfulness. And we don't have time to read all the scriptures here this morning, but this is what we find in the lives of the people there in Malachi's day. For one, we find the men had married foreign women. You can see it in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. God had given his people very specific instructions. They were not to intermarry with the nations around them. It was part of their covenant with God. Why? Because these women would bring with them their foreign gods. And, and so th these men would not just end up married to foreign women, but they would end up worshiping other gods instead of being in that exclusive relationship with Yahweh God, the God who had saved them. And so we see, see their compromise there as they married these foreign women. As it goes on in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, we see the breaking of marital vows. 
For the men of Malachi's day were divorcing their wives for selfish reasons. I can just kind of picture it. They wanted the younger or prettier wife. They wanted maybe a little more excitement. They bought into a worldly philosophy of looking for pleasure and excitement in that which is new. God says that these same men were weeping and wailing before God because they needed God's help, but to no avail. Why God had not answered their prayers because the way they had treated their wives because of their unfaithfulness to their vows. And imagine how that unfaithfulness in their marital vows then began to play out in the rest of their lives and through all their other relationships. And then we come to chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, as we read about how the people withheld their tithes. And I do want to read that for us. I think it's important for us today. Where, where the Lord says, will, will, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. For I will prevent pests and and." From devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is, it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. You see, as their love for God began to wane, as their worship for God and, and, and the word of God became less and less a priority of their lives, they began to, we read, they began to withhold their tithe. And thus God says, they have robbed him. After all, the, the law decreed that the first 10% of their income was meant to be the Lord's. It belonged to the Lord. And for Malachi and, and for God, this was not about adhering to a law for the law's sake. This was about relationship we, between God and his children. This was about worship. This was about honor. And by withholding the tithe, the people had shown they really didn't trust God with their lives. By withholding their tithe, they showed they didn't really love God. By withholding their tithe, they showed that they really were not concerned about bringing him the worship and the honor that he deserved. And let me just say this morning, listen, there are a lot of people who will argue about whether or not the tithe is, is still meant to be part of our lives as Christians. Let me say this. I have never met anyone who argues about the tithe because they want to give more to God. They always want to give less. God calls us to be generous to the work of his kingdom. It begins with a tithe. It begins with a tithe, but not just that. It's not just about the giving, but it's about the heart that's behind it that we would show that we've put our trust in him, that we love him, that our faith is in him, and that we want to honor and serve him. That's what the tithe, the giving of the tithe is all about. But finally, this morning, as we talk about a life of compromise and unfaithfulness, right, we see that among these people, there was this general lack of righteousness or right living and justice. Over in chapter 2, verse 17, we read these words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? And down in chapter 3, verse 5. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord 
Almighty. You see, the lifestyle of God's people ended up being no different than that of the people around them. God had called them to live lives of righteousness, justice, mercy, and compassion. Instead, they were involved in all kinds of sinful practices. They withheld the wages of of their workers, people who were living day to day, hand to mouth, we say. They oppressed the weak and the vulnerable among them. They deprived justice from those who needed it most. You see, church, here's the thing. When we lose our sense of gratitude for what God has done in our lives, when our relationship with God becomes a low priority of our lives, and when we begin to lose respect for his word, it will eventually show up in the way we live on a daily basis. The compromises we make, the breaking of relationships with one another, the withholding from God that which belongs to him, and a life that lacks righteousness, justice, mercy, and compassion. It's a danger we face. So let me ask you this morning, What will your spiritual life look like when you come out of exile? What will your spiritual life look like when you come out of exile? Right now in the midst of our exile, in the middle of the crisis, I sense that there is a high level of spiritual fervor among us. Many of us are reading the Bible more, even going through our Book of Acts reading plan. People are praying more. People are making vows to God to live better. And people are even attending services more, albeit online. Some of you are in more services during the week than you've been to in a long time. But what will the tone of our spiritual lives be like once we come out of exile, once we've gotten back to normal, whatever that might look like? Will we maintain a deep sense of gratitude and awe for the love and grace of God? Will our relationship with God be our priority? Will we we love him as he's loved us? Will we make worship and prayer a priority of our lives or will it end up on the low rungs of the ladder? Will we continue to read and study God's word or will we put the Bible back up on the shelf? Will we live as God has called us to live or will we allow compromise and unfaithfulness to creep in. You see, the danger of coming out of our exile and getting back into our normal routine is that we will allow the things of God to go to the back burner of our lives, that our love for him will wax cold, that we will lose our sense of what it really means to live as the people of God. Well, there are many dangers that face us in the days to come, but most of all, there's the danger that we will lose our love and our passion for God, the God who has given so much to save us. So today I want to encourage us to pray, to pray and to ask the Lord for for his help by his Holy Spirit as we commit ourselves to be the people both in our exile and as we come out of our exile, as we move into the days to come, the people that God has called us to be. Let's not succumb to the dangers, but let's live our lives in every way as the people of God. Will you bow your heads with me as as we pray? So, Father, right now we come to you. And, Lord, we do ask you to forgive us for the many times we have put you on the back burner of our lives, when we have allowed our love for you to grow cold 
when we've made everything else in life the priority and you've gotten the leftovers of our lives. The times when we have just been so unfaithful to you. Lord, we ask you to forgive us today. And Lord, as we look ahead to the days to come, as we look ahead to the days when we will begin to re-engage in life in a more normal way, even the days when we will be worshiping again here in this church building, God, I'm praying that by your Holy Spirit, you will continue to speak to us and empower us and to help us be the kind of people that you have called us to be. Lord, I pray that, God, as we move into the days to come, Lord, that we would sense your presence at work in our lives in such a real way that we could not veer from you, that you will always be be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, that everything we do in, in our lives would represent who you are, what you've done in our lives, and who you've called us to be. Lord, that we would not succumb to the dangers before us, the temptations that the enemy would put in our way to trip us up. But instead, we'd be a people who would live faithfully for you. Father, I pray right now for someone out there. Maybe, God, they've been living their life far from you. And today they sense your Holy Spirit drawing them to yourself. Father, I pray your hand upon them. And Lord, that the work of Jesus will be made very real to them. The grace, the love, the forgiveness that Jesus has bought for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Bless them, I pray, and let them know, God, that as they serve you, as they live for you, you have a place of blessing for them, even the hope of eternal life. And so, Lord, today we worship you here in these final moments of this service. We worship you with our heart, mind, soul, strength. We love you with all of our being. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him.